Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into true crime cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of true crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Are you sick of giving the special people in your life the same old lame gifts year after year? Well, I am here to help you, friends. You know if you're an avid listener of this podcast, at the beginning of each episode, I shake a genuine kangaroo scrotum sack for good luck. Now you can own your own genuine handmade kangaroo scrotum sack and not just a sack. Maybe you're looking for a bottle opener a unique back scratcher, whatever it is that you're looking for, you can find it at ruballs.com and enter code CRIME10 for 10% off your order. That's R-O-O-B-A-L-L-S.com, promo code CRIME10 for 10% off your order. Keep it curious and keep it shaken. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Megan. And welcome to our new music. How do you guys like it? 2023. It sticks in my head. It's We are recording this two days after our two-year anniversary. We are. And we thought that we would try in a new season of Crime Curious to try out some new music. This was custom made for us by music producer Michael Drizwicki. He's actually a relative of our friend Jason who comes on for our Patreon-only episodes that's to right. do our brain baths with us. If you know, you know. If you don't, you should join that's, Patreon that's to find out. brain bath Jason. That's right. Brain bath Jason. Not kangaroo sack Jason. Right. Which we should shake right now. Yep. I got the bones. You got the, the sack. sack. We have a lot of Jasons in our life. We do have a lot of Jasons <laughs> in our lives. You especially I do. do. It just makes it less confusing when I yell names. That's a good point. Yes. We have kangaroo sack Jason. <laughs> right. Oh, gosh. Um... So anyway, hopefully you guys like the new music. I know change is hard. Give If you genuinely hate it, you can let, let us, us know. know. All right. If there's more people that hate it than like it, then we will switch it up. Maybe just do one at the beginning and one at the end. Something like that. But That's we, right. We wanted to give someone that we know personally who created this specifically just for Crime Curious, um, you know, a shout out. So thank you, Michael, for your thank wonderful you, Michael. work. And I, I dig it. I do too. I like it. Um, and that's about all we're going to like today, because I'm bringing you a horrific case. Fantastic. Yes. So strap in, people. The fun is over. I don't have a comfort item. I'm going to have to stroke the kangaroo sack, and I have my coconut water. So. Well, that's those are pretty comfortable. Yeah. Uh, they're better when you spike them, but it's a weeknight. If you're in our Patreon-only group, though, you saw. did you see one of our Patreons posted my actual comfort dildo that I always joke about? Um. Did I you saw see the that? slippers. Oh no, there's a knitted one. I did see that. And I that's what I commented. It was it was a knitted phallic with the coconuts as a matter of fact. Did, attached. Absolutely. And speaking of our Patreons, I mean our our King Rusek Jason had also posted a picture of what can only be described as an anatomically correct taxidermy to kangaroo. 
which made it very obvious where we got this sack from. <laughs> That's for sure. I see now what I what I uh, was missing, what we fondle in our hands we, here. We now understand why they're big enough to put crystals I, in. I do see that. So yeah, join Patreon and jump on over to that page because you won't be disappointed. We have a lot of fun over there. Yeah, but I, I thought, wow, if I still had a grandmother alive, I would say, Grandma, will you crochet me a dick? Right. I gotta have my comfort. My item. grandma would have been happy to do that yes, for you yes. and would have thought it was hysterical. I think one of mine would have. The other one would who have was been very mortified. close to Jesus would not have seen the humor. No. <laughs> no. Probably Sorry, not. Grandma, but Jesus was anatomically correct too, right, I'm just saying. Right. I have a feeling he created them because he liked them too. Right. Right. So, <laughs> They're there for a reason. That's right. Probably the reason is not to shake his Gregory, but nope. But whatever, it's working Don't for us. judge us because we don't judge you. We're all on a different journey. We are. Uh, so, okay. Enough is enough, Megan. I've got to tell you the tragic case of three-year-old Amari Boone. Oh, yes. Three-year-old. Okay. Now, You're giving me child abuse. I am. And I'm not just giving you child abuse. I'm giving you a child who died while in care, which you know. If you don't know, if you're new to this podcast, um, so Megan is a former prosecutor of child abuse and neglect cases. Charnel, moi. What's my favorite witness? <laughs> uh, used to be a CPS worker and a then a foster care worker. And then I was an investigator specifically for children who suffered abuse while in foster care. And now my current title is I investigate abuse or children in the daycare setting. So right. it's a licensed daycare or unlicensed daycare setting. So um, just to give you all a little bit of a history, but so obviously a case like this is going to spark a lot of feelings for us given our <laughs> And a lot of opinions. A lot of opinions. And I chose this for a specific reason. Because as I'm researching it, I was reading headlines like died in foster care child it was it was a preventable murder in foster care foster care foster care our system is so messed up and i'm not disagreeing with that i'm not here to rattle those that cage okay but as i got to researching megan i realized an opportunity by covering this we may be able to explain some legal terms and some some legalese that most people might not understand. Absolutely. And, and you will you'll know right what I'm at when it's in like my first paragraph here and you're going to say that's why she covered this. So I'm ready. I've got this, my lawyer hat on. Thank you. It's beautiful by the way. It matches your outfit. Yes. Well, it looks good with my new haircut. It really does. So I'm going to keep my investigator hat on which it can only be described if if, if I'm being real honest, it's like an old school 1920s detective hat. That's of course, what I would rock. Of course it yeah. is. Yeah. So my anyway. lawyer hat, on the other hand, has a black veil that comes down over my <laughs> face. <laughs> We're going to keep it legit here. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. So this case starts not too long ago. It was January 2020. Oh, gotcha. Right yeah. in the height of COVID. Nope, right before it. Right before COVID. Yeah, That's right, right before COVID. I don't know. It's been a blur. When Amari's, the, the, I told you, this is the case of Amari Boone. Okay. So Amari's mother is Ariana George. She knew that she could not take appropriate care of her two children. Amari was three, but he also had a younger brother who I'm not going to name 
who was one, I believe, at the time. He was very young. Ariana was struggling with addiction at the time, and she wanted to enter a recovery program, but of course, she can't take her children with her. So she voluntarily, to my understanding, and we're going to explain this a couple of different avenues of how this could have happened, Megan, but she voluntarily entered her children into foster care through a little bit of a different avenue than what most of us think of when we think of foster care. Right. So Amari and his brother were placed with people of Ariana's choice choice legally through the what the court system calls a fictive, fictive kin placement. And now you understand why, why you want I'm me choosing here. this, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. So uh, this is a case that happened in Texas. I can only speak from child protection law in Michigan. And although there are a lot of commonalities in both legal term and system throughout our United States, there are some differences. So if you live in Texas and you work within the system and have an education and actual experience, not just an opinion on this, and I say something wrong about the way that your um, systems work, it's only because that's how it works in Michigan. And please don't at me about it. Right. Because I'm, and the same, my for, the same for my legal opinion, because mm-hmm. there are different ways that these cases are tried and progressed through the system when you're dealing with, we call them NA cases, which are neglect and abuse mm-hmm. or child uh, dependency, depending yes. on um, how, uh, how you term that. Yep. So typically when a child is removed by CPS or a governing, governing agency, whatever it's called where you live, laws require that family is contacted and ask for placement first, okay? That is very important to understand. Family has the first rights, okay? And for that reason is because the, the, the theory behind all this is that these children have a relationship, right? It's in the children's best interest, typically to be placed with family, with people that they know. We also know that removing children causes a trauma. Mm -hmm. We know that. For people who say, oh my God, you rip kids away and that traumatizes them. We understand that. We have to weigh the safety risk though against the trauma of of removing them, which is why, again, there's always the requirement that you look at family first. Also, family members could have some small things on their record or may not even be members that would always be approved for placement, but they're held to a different standard because they're family and they may get placement um, when if you were a foster family and had those issues, you wouldn't. Right, exactly. I get into that in a a minute as well. But the bottom line is, it is always in the eyes of the law, in the children's better interest to be placed with someone that they know, that they've had some sort of relationship with, as long as they can pass some minimum standard background checks, right? It's it, That's better than placing them in a typical foster care setting with strangers that they have never met before. Right. But sometimes family are either unwilling, they're financially unavailable or unable, um, or the family might not be able to even pass the the minimum standard background yeah. check. Yeah, okay? there's certain criminal offenses that are going to boot that you. Just, yep, that they just won't qualify for. Or the family may have a significant CPS or trauma history of their own that prevents placement. Right. And in Michigan, we call that central registry. We so do. you're going to do a central registry check. If they've had a number of uh, incidences before and they've been substantiated, then they go on central registry. Yeah. Yep. And this could be, you guys, even without a case going on. So you could be substantiated and placed on central registry as a person who's potentially unsafe to be around or care for children, even if you've never been through the court system, depending. Yeah. That's yep. that's how it works That's here. how it works. Exactly. 
So there's another avenue, though, when children are either removed from CPS or a parent needs legal help with their children and they're unavailable to take care of their children, and that is through a fictive kin placement. And it's literally spelled, guys, F-I-C-T-I-V-E, almost like fiction. It is. That's fiction the derivative, kin. the Latin the yep. Latin root word for it. Yes, which means that legally we are recognizing these children are not related, related to this person, but they have some sort of relationship. They know them, they're bonded, and the parent is trusting this these people. In, in this case, it is two men. Okay, a couple that um, Ariana is trusting her children. She has a relationship with them and they agree to take placement of her children. So she is, they're engaging in a legal contract saying that I trust that they are safe. Now, Texas Department of Human Services, whatever they're called there, I saw it written many different ways, DCFS, all of those things. What their their family service agencies, okay, did do background checks, did do home checks. They did right. check this place out before they agreed on the fictive kin So placement. there was an active case. Something had been it not maybe through the legal system, but or through the court system, but something had been called in. See, that is what we don't know, and so that's why I wanted to explain both avenues. Great. Um, and the reason I'm asking, I think so there is there had to have been some type of a call on her because for fictive kin to take place and CPS to be doing the checks on it, there had to have been some involvement with the system. That, Otherwise, she could have gone up to the courthouse, uh, done a guardianship with these people and CPS never would have been involved. Correct. But if CPS is already, CPS, by the way, is Child Protective Services, y'all. If CPS is already involved because somebody's called and they've had to go and do a check, then they don't just let you go up to the courthouse and sign things over to get them out of your lives. Right. No, this is where no, we see that's not, that's not a, a yeah. loophole to now, CPS. But. In Michigan, the court actually has to sign the fictive kin order. So once you decide there's agreed upon a person, or in this case, two men who were checked out, mm-hmm. there wasn't a background check, whatever, mm-hmm. then they request the fictive kin placement and either a family court referee or a judge would sign that to allow the placement. Right. Well, and what I wanted to throw in here, though, is that I didn't, as we know, CPS records are confidential. Right. So I do not know if that's the avenue they took. I do know in Michigan, though, even for guardianship, we do have checks. So I'm not sure if if that's specific to Texas, that they would, given the young age of the kids, if they would check this out before allowing the, you know, the exchange of the fictive kin. That was the piece that I just wasn't sure just because of, of the difference in states. So it is possible. I never saw information saying that what led her to get into rehab, her addiction problems, was that CPS was going to remove her children or CPS recommended it as sure. a service. I I didn't get that information because... And you won't. No, exactly, because it's confidential. It is. And just so everybody yep. understands, so I can explain this to you too, you're going to get so much technical information on this, y'all. I, I apologize. Um, it's literally what we do for a living. It is. <laughs> it, it, those are incredibly confidential. You don't know the reporting source. You don't know anything unless it gets adjudicated in court. Mm-hmm. So once it's adjudicated in court, which means there's a hearing, they either make admissions to neglect and abuse or they are 
found responsible by a uh, preponderance of the evidence, which is a civil burden of proof, more likely than not, think 51% mm-hmm. um, tipping of the scale. Yes. Those are open court and you can usually get a copy of the legally filed petition and the findings made by the court. Or if you sat in court because it's open, you can see what happened. Right. But if this never got to that point, at least to begin with, because she did this placement, all of the information leading up to the placement is confidential and, mm-hmm. and those people can't release it. They're not being jerks. They can't no, release it. Right, right. But also, all this story hits the fan after the tragic events of what happens to Amari. And so the focus of this case shifts. It's it, it, it's really not in the media or a case or anything anybody, quote, cares about oh. until something tragic happens to Amari, three-year-old Amari, And at that point, then our focus is on how the foster care system failed. And I'm wanting to point out that this actually was not a foster care placement. Nope. Everything you research. It's not foster care placement. It is not. They were not licensed foster care parents. That is a complete misrepresentation in every headline that you will ever read. It will say that this child died in foster care and he absolutely did not. Headline should have read he died in fictive kin placement. Correct. Exactly. Which is a huge part of why I wanted to cover this. I have lovely friends that are foster parents that have dedicated their life to being amazing foster care parents. Just like everything else in the world. Yeah, there are shitty foster care parents. There are. Sure. There's shitty doctors. How many times have we said that on this podcast? There's bad lawyers. There's There's bad bad cops. There's there's bad bad, doctors. There is bad CPS workers. There's bad spouses. There is. Exactly. There's a yin and a yang to everything on earth, right? But I just, I was so annoyed. I found myself being so annoyed. Well, we're happy to make those corrections. Yes, by how this has been um, introduced into the world. So at the tragic, it's just, it's so, so freaking tragic. But it also sounded to me as we're going through this, like Ariana was trying to make the right decisions, the healthy decisions for her children. This is not her fault either. She trusted these men. She had every reason to believe that they would take care of her her babies. Yep. So I don't even want to, I don't want to hear anybody throw shade at her of, well, this is her fault because she picked them and she did. Okay. She did because She had no information to say that her kids wouldn't be safe with them. And she knew she was struggling and she appropriately, whether it was through guidance of CPS, did the fictive kin placement, or if Texas allows that on, you know, without CPS involvement, like you said, you explained our process in Michigan. I'm, I'm not sure how it is for Texas, but... Correct. That we that's where we're at for this. Okay. As she went off to get So what treatment. I'm getting from this so far is that it's your professional opinion that we shouldn't be throwing shade at the respondent mother, as I call them, the and we shouldn't be throwing shade at the foster care system. But what we could potentially do is throw shade at the perpetrators in this case. Yes, and their what names are start. Deandrick Foley and his partner Joseph Delancey. Mr. Foley, Mr. Delancey, let's hear about you two gentlemen. So there we don't I didn't go into a ton of detail in terms of who they are as people. I mean, I think once you find out what they do to Amari, we know everything that we really need to know about them. Okay. Um, we, we know that they were friends, you know, with Ariana and, um, that they signed the paperwork. They started caring for Amari in January, 2020 and at 8:22 AM on April 10th, 2020. So they started, they took care, they started, took the fictive kin placement in January, 2020. Right. So we're April 10th 
A black Toyota Corolla pulled into the ambulance bay at Cook Children's Medical Center in Fort Worth, Texas. The driver hopped out and removed a small boy from the back seat. When he made it into the emergency room waiting area, the hospital staff could tell the boy was near death. The three-year-old little boy was Amari Boone. When Boone showed up in the emergency room, he had respiratory failure. His blood oxygen, oxygen levels were so low that he needed incubation intubation right away. Not incubation. They're no. not putting him in an incubator. It was intubation. intubation. Tube yes. down the throat, down into the lungs. Yep. Yep. To help him breathe. Breathe. He had bright red blood leaking from his nose, his right ear, and his body was posturing, which is a rigid body movement. Okay. Oh my God. Right off my, off the top of my head, I'm like, he was either blunt force trauma to the head or shaken. Well, my next sentence is both of these point to serious brain injury. Right. Um, and he also had contusions on his upper right arm. And Amari had suffered a fractured skull, bleeding on the brain, several broken ribs, multiple broken fingers, two broken arms, and a fractured pelvis. <laughs> so less than two hours after he was brought in, staff at Cook's Children Medical Center concluded that he would not survive his, in his injuries. He was actually pronounced brain dead first. And then at 1.19 a.m. on April 12th, 2020, he fully succumbed to the injuries. And his death certificate said that it was a homicide resulting from blunt force trauma to the head. So, Unfortunately, I don't like guessing them, but no, yeah, I've but those seen are it. What, right. That's what it, exactly. Yeah. On top of that, as I'm sure it comes as no surprise, Amari had broken bones, he had lacerations on his face, and he had bruises. And the bruises were in all various stages of healing. healing. Mm -hmm. So this is the tragic part of it all, Megan. His court-appointed special advocate, his daycare director, his biological parents, and his neighbors had all made reports about abuse and neglect. In the fictive kin placement? In the, against the fictive kin placement since they took care. Almost immediately, they had been speaking out with concerns from every visit. We're talking the daycare, neighbors, both parents that were visiting with the children. They all made reports. Okay? Oh, my God. And, and I'm, I'm over here like... throw shade at CPS. Yeah. Oh, we're going to get into this. It was investigated? Well... We're going to get into it. I'm going to okay. give you all the details. She's making me wait. I am. Now. I have to hold this. For near, you do have to hold it. I wish I had something other than my own breasts at this point I in mean, time. I mean, I'm not going to judge you and it looks lovely. <laughs> Thanks. Obviously, we know, guys, that these events, they were being heavily reported for two months. The, these, these concerns, the bruises. Um, his behaviors, even things Amari himself were even saying were concerning. But let me tell you what was going on with Texas at the time. And you'll understand why this case has got me even more heated up. This often happens in states and a lot of y'all might not even be aware of it, but sometimes shitty things happen. States get sued. Then the government comes in and decides that they're going to fix all the problems. And sometimes they make it worse. Hello, before they actually I'm from the government. Make it better. I'm here to help. Right. I literally work for the government. Me too. I've seen well, a branch of it. Right. These 
we've seen these processes over and over and over again. I came into CPS in the state of Michigan at the time right after they had been sued and they were doing a massive hiring to lower caseloads. Yes. And it was, this was the state's response to a tragic event, right? Well, the same thing happened in Texas. And Texas massive response that I have to take us, we're in 2020 right now, but I need to take you back to 2011. Right. When the same kind of thing happens and Texas responds with privatization. Oh, shall we explain <laughs> privatization, yes, we you shall. guys? Yes, we shall. Means that a case that is under uh, CPS supervision and then once the child is placed into foster care, instead of remaining with their Department of Health and Human Services or Department of Family Child Services, whatever it's called, it gets farmed out. It literally goes to a private organization. Some of these are religious based. Some of them are not where they hire private foster care workers to oversee the case and then there are ultimately supposed supposed to report back to the overseeing agency, which is that local county um, DCF or whatever it is the, down there. Yep, the state run. The state uh, run. Um, so that updates can be given. Mm-hmm. Um, what unfortunately we find, and I don't want to be mean to the, I know some great workers who work for private agencies. Me too. Some I of have my friends. favorite some foster of them are care workers. Right. right? Now. Yep. But you also are, you get what you get in terms of hiring. These are low paid social work positions. Yes. Often, almost always individuals who this is their breakthrough into social work. They don't have a ton of experience. A lot of them are right out of college. Right out of college. Mm -hmm. Yep. Absolutely. So let me break it down even further for you. With state run agencies, there are caps, right? A lot of them are run by unions. So there are caps on caseload sizes. Yes. Private agencies don't necessarily have to abide by that because they are, they are private, Megan. It's right there in their word, right? Private. Some of them are, are even for profit. They're not a nonprofit. That isn't a, okay. in the, I will point out that I have never worked with a for-profit private agency in the state. I'm sure they exist, but I only worked with nonprofit, honestly, usually Christian organizations. Yes. That is typically what we find in our areas. Catholic, Lutheran, and Methodist agencies. Yep. Yep. Um, However, there is a major agency that won Texas's contract that is a for-profit agency, and we're talking millions that the state threw in to this particular agency, ACSS, Child and Family Services, um, they contracted with our community, our kids. Okay. okay? And they received, like I said, it, it was millions. Um, they were basically doing a pilot program, which typically this is how it starts off. We do these pilot programs. Let's see what the outcomes are. Let's see how privatization works. Yep. Let's see if they meet our expectations, all of those things. As Megan said, these are low paying jobs. They're lower paying. Not that social work pays a whole hell of a lot anyway. No one does this for the money. No, but at the state level, it typically pays better. The benefits are better. They get more vacation time, mental health, which means mental health leave. Training. Okay. Training. Lots. Oh, dear God, the training requirements, right? Consistent training, training on mm-hmm. uh, forensic interviewing of children. You yep. have to do a certain amount of them a year. You have to have updates, especially if you're not doing a certain amount a year. Yep. I mean, that's just the things that I know from representing the and department. To me, the biggest thing is the caseload cap. It is. They have a caseload cap. When I worked CPS, the caseload cap was 13. And, but what was it for foster care? Um, because for foster care, 
It, you would eight. think that it's by family, but no. it's by kid. It's, oh yeah, that's so. Why. If you had a family yeah. that had eight kids in it, then you have one family you you're working with. Could potentially. Right. Um, I wanted. To, I want to say I could be wrong. It could be higher than eight. I cannot remember, Megan. It was seven years ago. Well, one of our foster but, care workers, and it's been a couple of years since I've done it. Now mm-hmm. I miss those cases, but we have some foster care workers that listen. And if you guys wouldn't mind shooting in the comments, yeah. even when we post is it this, that you can have right now caseload right now in the current. Mm-hmm. That's it. Just curious because I know for CPS, my my max for investigations was thirteen at once. Which think of it, just think about that, guys. That means yeah. that's thirteen cases. One family may have 10 kids. So you had more because you didn't have as many obligations yeah, um, in you, foster care that placement. That you have to go and assess and, see, and and investigate thoroughly and make sure that these kids are safe. Even at that rate, it's it's astronomical. That's a lot. You're busy all the time and it's too much. But the fact of the matter is there aren't people that are not, you know, banging on the door to take these jobs. No. Right? And same thing for privatization that pay even less. There are not people with the right education experience just begging to get hired to do this job. But when, so when, Amari is placed with this fictive kin. They are in their, their, his case is being overseen. This placement is being overseen by a private for-profit organization. So when I say that these reports, that these are being reported, Texas privatized even their CPS, Megan, not just foster care. Wow. Not just a kinship placements, not just guardianships. I did not know that. Okay. Yep. So it was, it, it is all of it, all encompassing, which is scary to me, but I'm biased, but I'm biased because oh, I work I am for too. the state as a CPS worker and know the ins and outs of the job and know the different training that private A CPS worker get. is a police officer without a gun. Yeah. In yeah. terms of the level of investigation that they have to do. Right, right. Again, different burdens of proof, but level of investigation wise. And to me, God, that's kind of comparable to saying, you know, we're going to go ahead and privatize law enforcement and just have hire some people off the street yep. who and, and do our own training with them and then they can do law enforcement investigation for this city yeah how that, would you that, like that that is exactly what it is and some of yep. you might like that please feel free to to have that opinion but based off of my experience and training I, it makes mm-hmm. me have the feels yeah for sure I'm gonna pick this up again and hold it <laughs> you get that king of sack I, it's I am, all right I am. um so that gives you a little bit of a picture of where we're at. I, I think see that it. explains it a little bit for you when I say that these reports are being made by the appropriate people. Even mandated reporters are reporting it. But we'll get to what the explanation, if you will, from this agency, you know, was. So obviously we know Amari's death is tragic, okay? Amari's mom and dad file a lawsuit. And in the lawsuit is how we are able to see these investigative details of what, wait, what went wrong, okay? Because they have access to that information. Yes. They aren't bound by confidentiality rules, and they can do what they want with the information. In this case, they filed a lawsuit, which is public. Yes. So there we go. And they they speak publicly, yep, exactly, about this. So in a statement to the observer, the family said that they're still heartbroken, but they want to make sure that their son didn't die in vain, and it gives them a reason to get through each day. They want to see change in the Texas foster care system. They said that, quote, 
ACH Child and Family Services cut corners to focus on profits over people. They ignored multiple obvious signs and warnings of abuse and kept haphazard records that resulted in Edmari's death, end quote. According to the Dallas News, quote, our community, our kids, became the first contractor to participate in a Texas pilot program for private foster care in 2014. The the first lawsuit happened in 2011, by the way. In the six years leading up to Amari's death, the organization received $92 million from state contracts to bring foster care up to the minimum required level by Texas and the U.S. Constitution. This was prompted about 15 years ago by the Texas um, Comptroller's investigation into the state's foster care and the agency responsible for it, which is Department of Family and Protective Services. So that's like our CPS. DFPS. Yep, yep. So at the time, they Texas used CPS and state-run, um, pri- they used a dual, like, like we do here in Michigan. They had both a state-run child protective services and private components, okay? And under this system, foster families and group homes would contract directly with, with the state, okay, CPS, right? But what would happen is the state CPS system would recruit and train the employees for the group homes, for um, the foster care workers, all of that thing. So they were, there was a duality like there is here because our private agency workers go to a lot of our same trainings. They're, not all of them have to require them, but a majority of the ones that we contract with in our local county, Megan, those workers go through the same trainings the same eight week you have, in order to be a CPS worker, you have to go through nine weeks of training and it's not all in your local office. You know, they leave, send you places. Yes. You leave your family and work in a different area for go to training for nine weeks to do that. So that's what it was initially. And then they literally went to all private agency and the state pumped in all of this. Um, they, they found in 2011 that it was a problem, yada, yada, and they pump all this money in. And so Amari's parents are suing saying we this this needs to not happen we need some more accountability this private privatization is not working in hindsight now all of the data is showing that it's not working yep it was a pilot program for a reason it didn't work and like Amari's family is coming forward and saying and this was the result right of this pilot program so the investigation at the time that they alleged that there was inadequate licensing standards for heavy case, there was also heavy caseloads for workers. The, there was an extreme high amount of turnover, among other problems. So a big takeaway from the investigation was that experiences in state-run foster care can differ drastically from those in private foster care. Following the investigation, Texas moved towards privatization in foster care, putting licensing and investigators in the hands of the state and letting private contractors provide the case management. So a class action lawsuit that was filed by Texas Foster Care Children, that's an organization, in 2011, highlighted more deficiencies in the state system, and at that time, their push for privatization was even stronger as a result of the class action suit. So eventually, the state wanted to see that what private contractors could do into the pilot program, okay? Our community, our kids, was one of several private organizations with an eye on that money. And in 2014, they nailed down the contract. So between 2014 and 2017, the state handed over between 
35 and $45 million to the organization, but overall it ended up costing them another $6 million just to set up the program's infrastructure. Hmm. So the lawsuit notes how perfect everything timed out for our community, our kids, because the 2011 class action lawsuit went to trial the same year that they landed their contract. So essentially just to lawmakers and everything, they're like, look, look at this big contract that we, we have going. It's going to be amazing. Our outcomes are going to be amazing. Like everyone, it was that collective consciousness, right? Just everyone thinking at the same time, this is what we need. This is what's going to fix all of our problems. And so when that one agency in 2011 files the lawsuit against the state, it just gave more fodder to legislation to say this is where we need to go. By the time the contract was supposed to expire and they were going to look at the outcomes, it had been extended another three years into August 2020. So that is how Amari gets wrapped up into all of this. The state had given nearly $2 million to the organization, more than double the sum originally agreed upon for the extension, for the three-year extension. I could tell you all the people who voted for and against, but it really doesn't matter. You can look that up yourself. You sure can, but... Especially if you live in Texas and have a vested interest in how this goes in the future. But what I picked up from it is that the our community, our kids, stressed heavily that they had the right people and the right systems and the right training in place to do their job. They stressed that as to why they should get this contract, this extended contract, because it was originally only supposed to go from 2014 to 2017. And then they got that three-year extension for another $2 million that extended it to August 2020. And their argument was we need it extended because we have the right people, we have the right training, we have the right systems in place to do this job. So then when Amari's family comes in and sues them, you can't fall back on, we didn't have the right people, the the caseloads were too high, we didn't have adequate training. No, no, no. Just put that it is out how there. you got all that money. And the extension on the contract. Exactly. It was only 40 days after he had been officially placed with the fictive kin placement that Amari passed away. So, And there had been assigned a worker. They had a foster care worker. And then there would have been private CPS investigations each time something was called in by one of these mandatory reporters. Right. By the daycare director, by the neighbors, by the mom, by the dad. Right. All of those people that said, oh, by the court-appointed advocate. Don't forget them. Yeah. Yeah. That said, we have concerns. Since the beginning of Amari's time with our community, our kids, there were red flags. There was spotty documentation of his case. Um, So in late January, case manager Sheila Robinson, Robert Robertson, there is no T in it. Robertson. Um, My my brain wants to put a T in it. It wants to say the T. So bad. She is the one who who was overseeing this placement. Okay. They had a permanency hearing on February eighteenth. That's very standard. You you explain permanency. We call permanent call them permanency planning hearings, but mm-hmm. they are um, ours are um, st- I believe statutorily required, and you have to have these review hearings within. Um, I think ours are actually six months, but we do them every three months. Permanency plannings here because my court at least um, does them more often than not, and you review the placement, mm-hmm. and you have um, experts. You have the uh, guardian ad litem, who is the attorney appointed to represent the child's best interest. Yes. The parents' attorneys can 
say something as well, um, but you also don't have to necessarily have court involvement. So in this case, for example, there may not have been court involvement, but they're going to do some type of a, or supposed to do some type of review, internal check to make sure that things are going well and that child placement and that the children are safe. And that they don't need any extra services. Like what behaviors are you seeing, guys? Do we need some counseling? What support do do you need? Yep, Yep, exactly. So- just so you know, at permanency planning hearings, if things aren't going well with the placement, people will make requests to the court, to the judge, if it's in that system, to change the placement. Yeah, that is when it happens. Yes. Do, our department might request it if they were involved or the guardian ad litem or the CASA worker might even write a letter to the court saying, hey, I think it'd be best in the child's best. I think it would be best for the child if they were moved yep. someplace. And we're going to have our local CASA worker come onto the show very soon. She was actually scheduled to come um, to day and isn't feeling well to talk with us, but we will you, we'll get her input. We will. And you guys all um, can look up your own local CASA, C-A-S-A. Just type it in. Y'all have one more than likely, and you can volunteer if you're looking at a way to get involved with children in foster care. Court appointed special advocate. Yes. So um, there'll be more coming on Crime Curious about that later. But here's the thing. We know that hearing happened but you can't prove it by Robertson's uh, documents because she didn't document anything about the hearing. And do you want to know what the number one rule in CPS is? And document. Foster care? Write it down. If you don't document, it didn't, it didn't happen. happen. Social work notes. So this means it looks as though this hearing did not happen. During the hearing, though, we know that it, it really did happen. Was there an order? Yes. And, um, and the, the parents were there. So they know it occurred. Yes. During the hearing, an injury on um, um, Amari's leg was brought up. But because it wasn't documented, the person who brought the injury to her attention doesn't know exactly like what, what she said about it. Did she even look into it? We have no idea because she didn't document anything. We know that it was brought up. Mm-hmm. We know she heard about it. But other than that, we have no idea what the hell happened with it. Because if you don't document it, it didn't, didn't happen. happen. After the hearing, Robertson told told Mr. Foley that he needed to take Boone to Cook Children's to be evaluated. Okay, so we know she said that. It wasn't documented, but we know she said that. And the doctors found that just weeks into placement, he had somehow managed to fracture his pelvis. Like a three-year-old just three-year-old somehow fractured their pelvis? Just somehow. I am not an expert, but I've had experts testify for me many times, and I believe that they would probably tell me that that would have required an extensive trauma for that to have happened. and not my, Like he like he fell out of a, a tree or out of a second-story building. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those are, those are the things I've seen in the past. Based on my experience, I would concur with you. Friend. Or a car accident. Yes. A car accident, which their vehicles were in working order. No evidence Mm -hmm. of same. Nope. So this fracture, by the way, was still healing when Amari died. Of course. I bet it would take months, if not Mm -hmm. years, to heal something like that. So there was very little documentation, even of him having the broken pelvic bone that was found in his file. When his parents visited him in early March of that year, they found bruises on his body and suspected abuse. Ariana, of course... um, did not actually, she, at that point in time, she wanted to um, get rid of the fictive kin placement. She yes. had concerns. She took photos of the injury and she sent them to Robertson. And she said that she wanted him moved. Okay. Yeah. Take them out of the fictive kin that I agreed to and put them in freaking foster yep. care Somewhere. or give them back to me if yep. I'm doing well. Right. Right. Exactly. So uh, according to the uh, 
um, lawsuit. Instead of reviewing the pictures Ariana had taken or visiting in person, the managers, the case manager did nothing. After receiving, receiving the photos from Ariana, Robert Robertson had Boone brought back to cook children's to be reevaluated. Okay, so she was they were instructed to take him to Cook's children's to be reevaluated, right? But then they never followed up to make sure that he was actually taken after mom's concerns of the bruises. Okay. So we're we are unsure about if he was taken, what the result of that would have been. There when was, you would tell somebody through CPS to take a child to the hospital, how did you follow up? Um, like I always gave them, I, I would tell them they have to be taken to the hospital right now. I didn't give a, you know, there was, if, if I'm telling you that your child needs to be evaluated, it's an emergency. So I literally would set timeframes of you need to go and pick them up and take them right now and let me know what the doctor says. And then I'm constantly following up. Right. I'm not. You might not even just, have them sign releases with the hospital or doctor yes. so you can get the information yourself. If they need extra support, I would meet them there, Megan. Okay. And be at the hospital. I wanted with everybody them. to know what a, 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 a typical a good CPS worker, worker, would, worker do. would do. Yes. That is the appropriate course of action. You, Mom's telling me she's got transportation problems and she can't take them there or I'll foster find you mom. A ride. Absolutely. Guess what? I'm coming and picking you up and I'm taking you. That's, that's the service. That's the resource, right? So we're parent aides. Yes. A person who's literally employed simply to help uh, maybe oversee a visit or to mm-hmm. take drive you someplace. Yep. There are resources. It, it appears as though he did go to Cook's the second time, but none of that information ever made it into the case file. Okay. God, that's so, as a prosecutor prosecuting those cases, and I rep, just so you guys are clear, when I say prosecutor, you guys think cr- criminal offenses. I literally was contracted to represent the Department of Health and Human Services, the CPS workers, the foster care workers. I read. She was my lawyer. I was your lawyer. <laughs> I read every report so extensively. And if I didn't like what I was reading or felt like there wasn't enough information, I'll be damned if I didn't call and ask for more info. Right. And I like to see the social work notes. Um, you're saying this happened, but why wasn't it documented here? I mean, you find right. those things. Those could have been found. I also question whether or not who was the attorney overseeing these. I'm not, I don't Did know they contract with I... their district attorney or PA, prosecuting attorney, same thing. Uh, did they have a private attorney? We've recently moved to private here in, in this county. Right. And that doesn't mean a bad thing. It means that they've hired a private prosecutor to right. handle those cases. We know that one of the first home visits, he'd been in this placement since end of January. January. Okay. One of the first home visits didn't take place until March 11th. Nope. Right. It doesn't meet standards. No, not at all. Not at all. Depending on the risk category, you may have to see those kids multiple times a week. Right. So at a minimum, I've seen monthly contact a for minimum. low risk. But that is that is extremely low risk. And when they are really close to reunification. Right. That's not, you know, here in Michigan. So yes, this does not meet standards that, um, and, and actually it was the first visit by Amari's court appointed special advocate. So they had recently it wasn't appointed even a caseworker. Yep. It was it was the um court appointed special advocate that made the home visit. And she did not like what she saw. So she reported it to the Texas Abuse Hotline. She said that the foster parents didn't allow Amari to drink anything and that she felt like they were really rough with him. They grabbed him really roughly by the arm. Um she also called Robertson, the caseworker, to relay the same information. But 
Robertson was said, Sheila Robertson was said to be really mad at the special um, advocate because she had reported her observations to the abuse hotline. She was very defensive, told her that she didn't need she to call that She was mad at her for doing her job? For being a mandated reporter? She, mm-hmm. You are trained in CASA to do that. Yes, of course you are. So this call that the special advocate is saying that they had, that they made, you know, made and, and made to the caseworker was never documented in Amari's file, of course. So I wonder the, if it screened, got screened out. Do you think, did they have a centralized intake process for um, reporting child abuse and neglect You know, in they Texas? did because it was called the Texas Abuse Hotline. Yeah. So, so yes, it would be centralized just like okay. ours is. You guys, that's one of the things that changed in our lawsuit here was that there was a centralized intake process um, instead of just reporting it locally. Right. I know for big cities that worked really well. I actually was not an advocate for centralized intake. I remember that. But the reason for it was because we had such fantastic workers and law enforcement that when CPS, when a child uh, complaint got called into 911, we were on it. We were in it within more time than it would require legally now. Now, I understand why they set that standard, though, because that wasn't happening in every county in the state of Michigan. So similarly, they probably had that lawsuit, a centralized intake or a hotline number was put in place there as well. There still should be documentation there someplace that it exists. But it's confidential. Exactly. So if they didn't put it in the report, we actually don't know if they documented that it was made or not. Exactly. We only have the CASA worker saying, I did I my this. job. Yep. I call. I did and my job. And she documented it. And, yes, and put exactly. it in her letter. Yep. Exactly. But this was never documented by the actual by the worker. worker. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the worker was said to have been very angry that she even called it, you know, in. So... Yes, I don't know. And when we say screened out, we mean that depending on what the allegations are, when you have a central a central place, so one one big office, okay, where that is handling all of these calls for the entire state, all of the abuse and neglect calls. You have a worker that is sitting there answering the phone, typing everything in, and then you have a it's shipped off to a um assigning supervisor, and the supervisor decides legally based on the allegations that are sent does this meet the definition of abuse or neglect and warrant an investigation not always depending on what people say does it meet the definition so if she had just said this is a foster child and i just didn't like they didn't let him have anything to drink and you know i felt like they she grabbed or they grabbed his arm really roughly i don't know that those words would necessarily get something assigned right okay so when you said it could have been screened out it very well might have which means it was not assigned for an investigation right or it could have been assigned for an investigation and the the CPS worker goes, they deny, they're like, oh, well, that was her impression. We give him water all the time, but Everything we don't like fine. him to drink that close to bed. We don't, I mean, there's all kinds of excuses, right? As a CPS worker, you're wading through a pile of shit all day long and trying to find <laughs> That's awful. the truth. And such but a, it's I true. picture it like you're wading through, it's like the dog ate your diamond ring and you're out there searching in the grass yep. and the dog shit yep. for it. And like the that's, diamond ring, that's literally your job, CPS workers. Yes. Congratulations. The diamond is the truth. <laughs> right. And you're wading through the rest of it just to find it. Oh, that was yeah. beautiful. Thank you. Yes, I am. I am so good with the words. You should do poetry in your spare time. <laughs> uh, so, Here's us being light again with our right. child abuse cases. So I apologize if that offended any of you. Yeah, we got to do something to break this up. 
On April 3rd that year, the lawsuit alleged that the caseworker Robertson um, and her supervisors, it's not just her, there's um, a last name of Lawrence and Frida Caro, all right? These are other people that are involved, not just this caseworker. They discussed Amari's case and said that he needed to be removed from the fictive kin care if anything else happened because all that had transpired transpired, excuse me, in the month before. So basically like the supervisors are acknowledging, Hey, like, it's like one more strike and you're out, pal. Right. That's where they're at with this child's safety. And just three days after that meeting is when, uh, Robertson received a message that, um, from one of the foster parents, I'm, I'm calling them a foster parent, but they're not really one of the fictive, cl- fictive kin kin parents. dads, but I don't know which one. Once, once you are, the reason you keep hearing foster care is because once there is a fictive kin placement and it's being overseen by a private foster care agency, they're going to call they're it the foster care wrapping placement. wrapping it all up. So and, yep. you're not wrong calling it a foster no. care placement. And it's why the media got confused that this was the, the foster care is in state foster care because they didn't know the difference. No, right. There are so many nuances if you hadn't heard already. Yeah. I feel like I should draw you guys a diagram. I know it almost and it I can only draw stick figures it. so it's not going to make sense. <laughs> well so one of the dudes that's taking care of Amari calls the caseworker and says hey I just want to let you know Amari has a swollen eye. They took a picture of it sent it to her and she's like you know that, that I'm no doctor but I'm in a play doctor. Uh-huh. It looks like allergies. Oh no don't do that sweetie. Now remember three days ago. That's not trained. That's hold not on. A, oh. Three days ago, she just had a meeting with her supervisors where her supervisors supervisor said, if there is any more incidences in this placement, you have to pull that child and find someplace else for him to live. Okay. And so then we've got this, a picture of this swollen eye and we have her deciding that it's, it's allergies. allergies. Okay. Just, I'm just pointing all that out. She didn't even make a home visit to see him. She diagnosed him right there without her medical degree with from a, pi- a phone. From a phone with mm-hmm. a picture. For the next two days... Amari didn't attend daycare. Called it in. They the call because of the allergies. Mm-hmm, called in that he was sick. Yep. So then April 9th, the daycare director sent Miss Robertson a message saying he hasn't been here for two days, and now he came back on April 9th. And here's what he looked like. And the photograph of him is showing his eyes. It looks as though the child has black eyes, like he has been punched. Like not allergies. Mm-hmm. This and the daycare, by the way, did the right thing mm-hmm. by reporting this when sure a child did. was brought to them yep. looking like that. Because they are also mandated reporters. Boy, do I and say don't that don't want to lose and, their licenses. Yep, time and time again do I have conversations of, you are a mandated reporter. If you know about that, in the state of Michigan, it's a $250,000 fine. If you knowingly do not report abuse and neglect that happened. Right. Yeah. And if you don't know if it's abuse or neglect, you know how you make that determination? You report it and exactly. let the expert decide. decide. Yeah. So they reported this. And there is nothing in Amari's file whatsoever about receiving this photo, about receiving this communication at all. And it was the very next day. So no, April 10th. So the, they had already told the worker, if we get one more complaint, the child's getting moved. Now she's got two. 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 And the very next day is April 10th. And I don't know if you remember from the beginning of this story. Is that story, when we arrived at the emergency room? This is when we arrive at Cook Children's Medical Hospital and where Amari passes away. Yeah, I'd, I'm, I, yep. They claimed initially, Delancey and Foley, the perpetrators here, initially claimed that they found Amari that morning under the boy's playpen and his breathing was gargled. 
That was their explanation. Can I just tell you, by the way, I have had two child death cases where they claimed that it was the playpen, the pack and play. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Like they got out and got stuck under it? stuck under it. Mm -hmm. Death by pack and play. Mm-hmm. Well, we have unsafe sleep deaths, but sure. this yes, is also... No, these were physical abuse cases. Yeah. Correct. And let me just point out too, this is a three-year-old child. Right. Who shouldn't be in a pack and play. Thank you for pointing that out because I was just going to say, at some point in time, my child reached their weight limit and mm-hmm. I think it was over, like before three. Typically, it says the manufacturer's recommendations say two years or 37 pounds. Last time I checked, something that I'm always telling my well, daycare providers Well, once you're three, to, a playpen's not going to well, keep just a the child of inside it. of like, it. Typically, they're too long yeah, to comfortably be for in For sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mine all would have been. They were all tall. Yep. Yeah. Well, right. For or sure. Or long, I should say. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm sure it comes as no surprise, but during the investigation, both gentlemen, no, I don't even want to call them gentlemen, both perpetrators, gave different accounts of how he got his injuries. You know, he bumped his head into um, a door frame. That Why is it always the damn door frames too? They get a bad rap. I don't Those know. things are dangerous. I do run into door frames often. And but never resulted in blunt force trauma. And never to the point that I had a brain bleed or any brain damage other no. than the, what I usually have. Or a broken pelvis and broken no. legs no. or anything like that. Yep. I can see giving yourself a hell of a bruise. I've got bruises mm-hmm. all over my thighs because they stick out and they hit things. The two are ultimately arrested, Megan. Good. And because they were indicted by a grand jury in uh, March, uh, actually took March 2021. Let's see. Delancey got slapped with one count of injury to a child, uh, serious bodily injury, and four counts of injury to a child bodily injury. None of those were charged as a causing death? That's what I was looking for. And it wasn't reported that way, but it doesn't mean that it isn't that way. Because that's exactly what I was looking for. But it was never documented by the press. States call things different things. They do. To us, that would be um, child abuse, first degree, Mm -hmm. causing death. Or uh, to be honest with you, it'd be charged as a homicide. Homicide. Mm -hmm. They did do, I mean, it was a homicide homicide investigation. Yeah. So that, because that's what his death certificate said. Homicide. Homicide. Foley got indicted on seven counts of injury to a child but it's called to a child bodily injury. Okay. And to my understanding, all of these things are still pending. So I don't have the legal conclusion. I just, and we can follow up when we do at this point in time. And you know what? But they're innocent until they're proven guilty. They are. And the facts need to come out in court about what actually happened. Mm-hmm. This is a processes case that we've been commenting on. I don't, we don't even know what happened happened, well, right? We know what the cause of death was. We know what the injuries were, but do we know what actually happened or we have to wait for it to come out at trial? Their charges also were re, to my understanding, the last information that I could find from this um, was January, 2021. Their charges were amended a couple of times. So I'm sure it just was pending on the investigation. But yes, at this point in time, we know that there hasn't been uh, a resolution at this point in time, uh, but that is what they, they are charged with. And Amari had suffered a fractured skull, bleeding on the brain, several broken ribs, multiple broken fingers, two broken arms, and a fractured pelvis. Oh, okay. So there is the tragic story of Amari Boone when we have updates on that on the trial. And like you said, you are in it there, innocent until proven guilty. Um, but what is also still pending is this lawsuit against, sorry, our community, our kids. Um, that lawsuit is still pending by uh, 
Amari's mother okay. and, and father um, for that lawsuit of just saying, you know, basically we want some reform in the Texas foster care system. They violated our child's constitution rights, constitutional rights. Um, there's been a lot of, you know, there was a lot of problems that happened here that resulted in this child's tragic death. And, and I couldn't agree more. And they do need to, to correct this situation. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And why is it that it always takes, why are we so reactive instead of proactive in situations <clears throat> Like this. It just drives me insane. It is. It's always the it's always the problem. And you know, it's funny or it's not funny, but these these changes are put in place or they're enacted because there was had already been something bad that was happening. Right. There was already something not working in in the system. So I actually to start off with, like it's not the worst idea ever. Let's try something different, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. So yeah. but I'd be interested or curious to know, is this the only case? Did we no. actually see less injuries to children in care? Did we see more reunifications? What are the stats no, to show it was no, working? No, it's showing that it's not working. And as a matter of fact, when they started looking over some of the court monitors and the progress in, in all of this in foster care, they found that since the summer of 2019, 23, 23 children have died in the state's long-term foster care system. Of those, six died from neglect, neglect or abuse by caregivers. Five of other cases are still under investigation. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I just, yeah. That's since 2019, not even since the pilot program started. Right. Okay. Okay. So, yes, there is definitely reason for, this is why, you know, legislation needs to act on this, I'd say. There is a U.S. District Judge, Janice Jack, that was quoted in the Texas Tribute that said, it's the safety of these children that's at stake here. That's the most important thing, and I expect Texas to live up to its duties to keep these children safe, end quote. So we're just going to kind of wait and see for a little bit? Mm-hmm. That's that's what we're at, where we're at. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ugh, awful, right? Awful. It, yeah, absolutely. It deserved covering. little bit of education for people. The intent was to have our own court-appointed uh, special advocate in to talk with us, <laughs> but we're going to... We'll, we'll reference this case when we do get to interview her and talk right. with her. Well, thanks for bringing better. it. I think it was an important one. And again, just we were able to give a lot of information. Yeah. So, and we have more. Again, I mean, for some of you that had started a little uh, group chat, um, and you know that we message you back anyway, if you mm-hmm. want to talk about it further, we can give more about our experiences um, yeah. in this line of work. And, and again, we've seen cases really similar to this, you guys. Mm-hmm. Real similar. Oh, yes. This hit home a lot. I don't know how funny this is, but I'm going to babe you. Okay, I'd love for you to. Okay, so local news, and this is um, published on October 17th of 2022, so not too long ago. Adams County, Pennsylvania man cited for illegally importing a kangaroo last month. Oh my gosh. Is his name Jason? Is he from Australia? Does he need to come see us? It's not. And he didn't have to illegally import a kangaroo because they just are, they're they're domestic beer there. That's true. (laughs) They're imported over (laughs) here. I meant, was he coming to see us and bring us one? He wasn't, but that would have been kind of cool other than (laughs) the illegal part. All right. Littlestown, Pennsylvania. A Littlestown man is expected to pay fines after state game wardens seized a kangaroo last month in Adams County. Following a tip, he was trying to 
sell the six-month-old marsupial on Facebook. Oh, Lord. God, don't buy things off Facebook Marketplace, and especially don't buy kangaroos, people. Exotic animals. We call them exotic animals. They are exotic. I know I've said multiple times that I want to cuddle a wallaby, but I'm not going to do that illegally. It's consensual cuddling. Yes. Cole M. (laughs) Williams, 19, pled guilty earlier this month. Bless his heart. He was only 19. 19 to three summary counts of unlawful importation of wildlife and two summary counts of failing to acquire required permits. A concerned citizen saw the post on Facebook and contacted the State Game Commission, which began looking into the allegation. Sir, do you have a permit for that, Kanga? I can just see it. Like, I'm going to need to see a kangaroo, mate. Yes! Which I got in the pouch. I needed his papers. Where is I his need papers? his papers. Right. He's like, well, um, I actually he is a he's a dog, and I can have his AKC paper. He's a he's a Great Dane. Yes. He's a marsupialized I, Great I trained Dane. Him, I crossbred him. Right. So now we're working with all kinds of genetics. It's just Jurassic Park for marsupials. <laughs> so this concerned citizen reports it. Williams first allegedly he denies having the six month old kangaroo in kangaroo? his possession. What kangaroo? It's like when you walk into the scene with E.T. with all the stuffed animals. And he's like surrounded by them or they dress him up as like the old lady or what. Do you remember when they like dressed him up? Yes, of course. He's in the stuffed animals. You're like, that's not a kangaroo. Mm -hmm. This is a kangaroo. (laughs) So he. I picture him in sunglasses and a cigar hanging out of his mouth sitting at the table. That's my Uncle Joe. He's got the Groucho Marx glasses on with the (laughs) fake nose. He's like, that's not a kangaroo. Yeah. So he denies having this, but game wardens don't buy it, and hmm. they apply for and receive a search warrant for William's home. They later found the animal hidden in the bedroom closet. Oh, I almost made a joke about him punching his way out of the closet. I had a feeling that's where you I would know, hide my kangaroo. Is in the closet? Yeah. We know that kangaroos can be... At what point in time do they get so dangerously aggressive that they are going to punch you? I mean, at what point would this was this kid going to have this kangaroo held hostage coming to school with black eyes because your illegal pet is beating the shit out of you when you try to feed him in the closet right so he was seized he was taken he the kangaroo not the child the the 19 year old they didn't seize him they're like you're on your own buddy you're domestic we're taking the exotic yeah the kangaroo was seized and taken to the facility a facility where it will be cared for in pennsylvania and other states as well, possessing, importing, and selling exotic wildlife species without the proper permits is illegal. Yeah. This also indicates to me that with the proper permits, he would have been he fine. He probably could have had one. You just needed to get a permit first. I'm telling you, uh, uh, officials say these laws are in place to protect the public as well as native wildlife species from the dangers and harm created by improper handling sure. of these exotic species. Again, sure. can you imagine no. coming home from work, you pull in here, you let your dogs out, and the next thing you know, there's a king Roo punching your dog in the yeah, side yard exactly one when you call the police they're going to be like charnel's been drinking again did somebody <laughs> go over to her home and check on her jason call go, matt go over and check on <laughs> right. charnel is your uh, wife there we have had in this town uh wildlife reports of exotic animals such as emus and ostriches and oh, stuff like that emus. one um, time we should have our friend wes on here to tell us i don't know if the statute of limitations has, has gone on oh, that oh, when it is <laughs> we'll have him on all right so just so you all know on the website pennsylvania game commission does say uh, operation game thief 
It serves to protect wild birds and wild mammals and encourages those who have information related to wildlife crimes to report details as soon as possible. So we love all of you. Please don't keep a wild uh, pet kangaroo or wallaby or any of the things that we say that we want to steal and snuggle. We're joking. Raise your hand if you want to do a career change, though, and go investigate this type of thing. You know, I'd love to knock on someone's door and say, "What our DNR?" I heard it is. I I heard you got a kanga. I need to see the papers. I know. Can you imagine though, being a DNR officer and you're like so used to getting people for not having a deer tag or for hunting without hunter's orange or out of season for a duck or whatever? Too many fish over the limit when you're ice fishing. I was just gonna say that your fish. You kept a fish that's too small. Yeah, too many lines out for the season, and then you go to this guy's house and he's like, "You're like, hey, I want to talk to you about that deer. You is that a fucking kangaroo? Right. right. What's behind you? Is that you?" Yeah. Right. So again, I don't know how funny it was, but no, interesting. I and enjoyed we it. started by talking Kinga. Yep. We're going to end with Rue. It all comes full circle. It does. Yes. Thank you all so much for listening. And uh, what do we, what do we hope for them? Megan? Well, first of all, um, we hope that you uh, check us out on social media. Oh, we're going to do the, that song and dance. I think we probably should. It's been like a week and a half since we recorded. I know. So I forgot. And my... we don't always do that with our Patreons, but you general yeah. pubs, people listening for yeah. the first time, check us out on our Facebook, go to crimecuriouspodcast.com and check out our website. You can look up old episodes. If you would like, you can join Patreon. We're but, super reasonable and you get great extra content. Also, there's like hundreds of extra episodes that if you're not a patreon that you've never heard correct like and some of them are longer well majority of them are longer than our regular episodes so like you're missing out on a lot truly absolutely um also if you just want to donate a little bit through buy me a coffee that's how we buy books thank you to everyone um we've had a couple of people do that and i literally have bought i bought a three-part series that i'm bringing i'm deep diving right now that's horrific but y'all are gonna love it because i know who you are you are and uh yeah so we just we just really really appreciate that Um, all right well and here's the part where i can tell you until next time all right i want you to keep it curious and keep listening and and bye-bye Are you sick of giving the special people in your life the same old lame gifts year after year? Well, I am here to help you, friends. You know if you're an avid listener of this podcast, at the beginning of each episode, I shake a genuine kangaroo scrotum sack for good luck. Now you can own your own genuine handmade kangaroo scrotum sack and not just a sack. Maybe you're looking for a bottle opener a unique back scratcher, whatever it is that you're looking for, you can find it at rueballs.com and enter code CRIME10 for 10% off your order. That's R-O-O-B-A-L-L-S.com, promo code CRIME10 for 10% off your order. Keep it curious and keep it shaking.